This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Brian Laney, the VP of Sales and Product at Alert Tech. And what I love about retail innovation is being able to be there for the industry that's really um, been there for us and help the American economy and the people get back to work and get back to buying, shopping, and doing the things that they love to do. Hi, my name is Fred Maxick. I'm the uh, founder and chief scientific officer at a company called Healthy Lighting. Uh, I'm based here in Florida. And what I really love about uh, innovation and specifically retail innovation is it gives us the ability to solve for problems. Uh, we, we can look at those problems and then we can apply some good scientific principles to them that we've learned over the years. And we can increase and improve on an experience. And if we do it right, it all feels like magic. And watching people's expressions and how they act around technology uh, is fascinating to me. And I've lived my life uh, developing that. As apparel retailers move to reopen physical locations, one huge challenge is that customers simply don't feel safe in the fitting room. It's crucial to rebuild confidence in the in-store experience with both customers and associates. Coming up, two companies, Alert Tech and Healthy, have brought together their remarkable technologies to provide a solution right now for retailers using FAR UVC lighting, an effective and visible system that cleans the air and surfaces using existing infrastructure. Pay attention, folks. This just might be what you've been waiting for. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako. So glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, returning to the show after a bit of a hiatus, but he's certainly been with us many times. Brian, uh, so great to have you and Alert Tech back in our midst, my friend. How are you? Yeah, great. All the way from Texas. And also with us, Fred, welcome to the show. First time, maybe it won't be the last time. Glad to have you. Uh, where do you hail from, Fred? Uh, we're, we're out of uh, Central Florida, sir. New York, Florida, and Texas. Welcome to the 21st century, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, glad to have you. Uh, how, how are you gentlemen uh, doing uh, right now in the midst of the pandemic? Uh, how are you hanging out from a personal and business standpoint? Why don't we start with you, Brian? I'm good. Uh, I think that what we've all realized is that everything we thought we knew about how we did our jobs is not really quite applicable. Um, interesting for a company like mine, and I'm sure like Fred's, where we, we actually manufacture things. Uh, even more when we are working with people overseas, I've got um, retailers and brands that I uh, install things, work with overseas the hurdles uh, are just magnified, right? So the hurdles that we always had are now five times harder. And it seems like everybody, everybody has a different conferencing app. So (laughs) I have to keep those all updated. And uh, Fred, how about you? How are you uh, faring and dealing? Well, on a personal basis, the family has been sequestered and and pretty much uh, shut in. We've been very... uh, careful about where we go and, and uh, what we do and so but everyone's stayed healthy and that's the most important part on the business side though uh, the activity has been incredible you know, we uh, we started working on uh, sterilization and uh, cleaning systems uh, utilizing light uh, 13 years ago 
Uh, we've been talking about it to people for the last decade, and uh, in the last six months, um, the, the response has gotten considerably better than it had been for the uh, six or seven years before that. Uh, so we, we stay busy, we, we manufacture, and we've been delivering systems uh, throughout the world, uh, looking at how we utilize uh, the power of light to, uh, to clean our environment. Very cool. Wow. All right, so let's get let's get down to why you we've all assembled here today. Retail has a challenge right now, uh, opening up in the first place, and then making sure as retail opens up its physical locations that it can do it safely for consumers, safely for employees, and uh, try to rescue and maintain and uh, keep in place as much positive consumer experience as, as you can. A lot of that goes into feeling safe. I mean, the only reason anyone's not going to go into a store right now is they don't, they're not sure it's safe. So what's great. Uh, we've seen a lot of this uh, is uh, when people come together and combine forces and, and the old saying one plus one equals three, Brian, why don't you take us down this road a little bit? How has your company and Fred's company come together, taken the best of what you both do and it looks like you've really solved the problem. I guess to really tell the story, I back it up to like my relationships with retailers that I've been working with for my entire career. Um, so when, when Marge, our CEO, my mother, started the company 30 years ago and um, started working with retailers, uh, you know, we've been with some of our brands for 25 years, certainly over 10 years for most of our big engagements. So these are people I know uh, very well. And of course, I've seen how they've struggled in this. Um, so I started asking, as we do, we live right at the intersection of operations and uh, facilities and uh, IT. So I'm talking to these folks, you know, hey, you know, what's going on in the store? What's your plan? And uh, to be honest, uh, as everybody is, we're all human. And I think for a while, everybody's reeling. Like, where do you put your feet down in this situation? Um, so when they started to really put pencil to paper on what it was going to look like to start back, those conversations were like, let's use disinfectant. Let's use more staff to do things that we now have to do. Right. Well, th that's a great thing to do, to be able to throw labor at a problem. And that's always an option as long as there's, there's revenue coming from that labor. Um, I think what they're, what they're up against is, you know, 50, 60% reduction in door traffic and no end in sight to the amount of labor that has to go into making that store ready now, right? So when we were having these conversations, it was like, what can we do? And honestly, the the light bulb moment, oh, look at that. I made a pun. Um, <laughs> the light bulb moment for us came through uh, just a really serendipitous uh, relationship. Marge, our CEO, is very good friends with a, a psychologist, a head psychologist over at uh, NASA. And um, we were talking in a, you know, just a normal, you know, what what's the new world look like situation. And we heard about Fred. It seemed amazing. So uh, Marge got a hold of Fred and it seemed like a meeting of the minds um, from the standpoint of, look, we have this technology that's really good at sensing people, at controlling processes, uh, turning things on and off, giving alerts over radios and interfacing with retail associates. And then that 
I mean, it just kind of fell into place that, okay, well, this makes a lot of sense. Let's use light to clean these retail environments. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how we got there. Yeah, let's bring Fred in. Uh, Fred, why don't you talk a little bit about what your business does and how you're you're the other, you know, you're the you're the peanut butter to, to to Brian's chocolate in this situation. Uh, Reese's fat, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, so so um, what we do and what we've been doing for quite a number of years is, is we've been looking at how we take the power uh, of light, uh, specifically in, in in the UV spectrum. And we apply it to, to pathogens that we, we encounter in our environment. Uh, we have known for decades and decades uh, that UVC light is particularly effective at deactivating or inactivating uh, pathogens, including viruses and bacteria. Um, the problem has always been, classically, for, for at least six or seven of those decades, uh, that same UV light uh, is, is a bit dangerous for, for human beings. It, it can create problems for us. It can be, uh, it can cause medical issues, it can cause skin issues, it can cause eye issues. So we've been very cautious in the past to say, if we're going to apply this light into a space, like a surgical suite, first we clear all the people out of it. What's novel about what we have today is uh, over the last 13 or so years, it's been researched into 222 nanometer light. And this 222 nanometer light is, is equally effective at disrupting pathogens, at, at stopping viruses from replicating and destroying bacteria but it, it, it's safe for human beings. Um, we, we don't see the same effects that we see with other light on human beings. It cannot penetrate our skin. It cannot penetrate our eyes. It does not cause irritation. Uh, and, and that's really what's novel about this technology that's being deployed today. Uh, it's a technology that we can live with in, instead of run away from when it's being utilized. Uh, and that's why it's such a perfect fit in the retail environment. We can put it in places where people do have incidental exposure to it. And at the same time, it's cleaning the air, it's cleaning the surfaces, um, and it's been demonstrated to do so very, very effectively. How, how did you take the jump from that kind of technology to saying, uh, we know this can be used for this problem, it can be done effectively, and retailers will be able to depend on it? How did that confidence, where did that confidence come from as a model? So I, I think the jump, the jump was actually two steps. I, I think the first step came uh, about three years ago when a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Brenner from Columbia actually came out and published a piece on 222 light. Uh, and he, at the time he was measuring H1N1 uh, as, as a virus that was, he was concerned about. Uh, and he showed it to be incredibly effective uh, in the air at disrupting this virus, at disrupting this contagion, but uh, human safe. And he studied uh, human skin models. He studied, studied mammalian models. He has been doing studies for years now with, with um, mice. Uh, and, and, and all of them have come back very, very positive that this is something that we can put in the space and utilize it. The second piece came from a conversation I, I had with Marge uh, after the introduction, and that was, this is something that the retail environment can really use. We had been focused uh, before that on like senior living and hospitals and, and more of those clinical settings you would think you would see for, for sterilization and cleaning type of technologies. Um, but after that conversation, I realized that uh, retail is of equal importance. And if we're ever going to be back to be able to approach a, a new normal, that working with Brian and Marge on, on trying to make something work, particularly in, in dressing room areas and in other types of spaces within that retail environment, is, is going to be one of those critical elements, along with all the common sense things we still think about. But um, this is, could be one very, very significant element of, about ensuring people that when they go shopping, they're safe. And when they go shopping, they're also safe to come home. Um, and I think it's, it's really both sides of that equation that, that will make people comfortable about going out again. How have you guys thought about, uh, and, and I don't know how much this is your role, but you've probably thought about 
how you give retailers confidence that, okay, you can be confident. Here's the science behind cleaning this. You guys are confident that it's clean. How, how do you start educating the public that this is clean enough? Just because the store says it's clean, how do you believe that it's really that, that clean, that sanitary, th- that safe? So I think the number one thing about, so the, you had kind of two parts about how, how does the retailer make sure that they feel good about it? And then how does um, the consumer feel good about it? Well, from, from the consumer standpoint first, I think that there's like a serious conversation that needs to take place um, between the, the brand and the, the customer that doesn't have to be a long conversation. It just has to be a serious conversation. We are util- utilizing 222 Light and we are auditing its use. We're making sure that it's being used when we say it's being used. And we are, we are absolutely cleaning the room as well as saving you from any exposure to it. So the way that we're working with it is, even though it is human safe, what we're going to do is use our system to schedule it and or make sure that it's not being used unless somebody's already used the fitting room, left the fitting room, then it turns on. Or if we use it in the general retail space, the, the area is uh, empty of, of people. Now, that's that's completely about the way that people feel about it, because I think Fred will jump in on this. There's no need to be concerned but with that. But we all know that it's in our best interest to, to kind of allay that fear, right? So if we allay that fear, people need to bring up their confidence level or understanding of this, and they don't have that yet. yet. Um, and I know Fred's working very hard to, to change that perception. We're going to work very hard to change that perception. But um, the other part of this is, okay, let's say everybody buys in. It does work, right? It, it is important. Well, 222, so 222 nanometer far UVC light, is not visible. And yes, there is a visible light component on the fixture to let people know that it is on. I think that's an important like indicator. But what we're doing is on our sensor, we have a UV sensor now. And when when that light is supposed to turn on, we audit that it actually did turn on. And then that is live, that live data and logged data, so historic, historical data, is saved. So let's say, and, and this is coming, the, in the future, the, the federal government is probably going to make some standards about what it takes to have a clean environment. And when that happens, the, the retailers that are out ahead of this, giving high levels of, of sanitation and able to prove it are going to be light years ahead. Another pun. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but they're going to be quite a bit ahead. And, and that's an important aspect of this. So when we went into it, we said, hey, we don't need to just do it and say we're doing it. This isn't a light switch. We want to make sure that we are proving it and standing behind defensible science. And yeah. Fred, it, it brings that in spades. Yeah, I guess I would add to that, uh, Brian, is that the, the science around this is, is really solid today. Uh, we have we have decades of, of peer-reviewed studies from uh, most of the major universities around the world talking about how effective this is. Interestingly enough, this gets reduced to fairly standard math. We know there's only really three elements we trigger to, to, to determine whether this is working. We understand the fluence, which is the power of the light coming out of the fixture. We understand the time it's been on. And we understand the geometry of the space we're trying to clean. 
with those three, we can deploy a very simple formula and over a period of time tell you exactly how much cleaning that light has done in that environment. And that leaves a wonderful audit trail for how we utilize this light in that space. Are you thinking about how you can communicate that audit trail to the consumer as well? Like, because what comes to mind to me, and I don't mean this as an idea, I'm really asking, you know, you see a bathroom and it shows you all the times that the bathroom was clean that day. And it gives you confidence that maybe that bathroom is clean because it was clean 12 minutes ago. Are are you thinking about like being able to have like on the outside, like a display on the outside of a a fitting room, let's say uh, this room has been cleaned by uh, UV light uh, um, 927 times today or whatever. So I don't know whether uh, you, you teed me up for that or not, but that's exactly what we are doing. So on the exterior of every room that we are, that we're cleaning, we have an indicator that shows um, that the, the fitting room or room is occupied and dirty, quote unquote dirty, um, in a cleaning process, right? It's, it's, it's currently, there's a UVC, far UVC light on. And then the final uh, indication is that it's clean. Um, and I think that along with signage is going gonna, is gonna to go a long way. Now, of course, since we have all of the audit trail, we have everything, you could do something as... I mean, I guess it's not that extreme is to take a screen and put it up and it, it would literally tell you and the, the dashboard that we're building for this is going to tell you how many hours that day that these lights were on, um, how many of the fitting rooms were cleaned, how many we could tell you how many times a room was interrupted during a clean to place somebody in it. Right. To, so these are important things because part of retail and part of retail operations is behavior and Humans are, even though we're very disrupted in our behavior right now, um, there's the favorite fitting room, right? There's the favorite place in the store. We need to make sure that we're a little bit more cognizant of the fact that, um, hey, this one's being cleaned. We need to use the other one. And then when I say that, there's there's the indication of there's time involved here. Well, the amount of time that we're talking about to get to a, and I'm going to use two terms here that that I'd like um, Fred to jump in on, is log two, log three cleaning. And we're expecting that we can achieve that level of cleaning within three to five minutes. So if fitting rooms used, it's unoccupied, it's cleaned for three to five minutes. And at that point, we have a log two or log three um, cleaning. Are you talking about the the fitting rooms? Look, I know they got to get people into the store right now. That's, that's concern one. Uh, having maximum use of your fitting room is next level concern. Uh, but my question is, is how do you make sure that, you know, there's a certain amount of cleaning time, which means those fitting rooms are not available as much every day because there's got to be periods of time that they're down, quote unquote, for cleaning. So how do you uh, not create a concern from retailers that being extra safe is putting too much of a dent in their ability to use part of their square footage. Cause what I kept thinking about and forgive me for going on here is how interesting it would be to basically, if the green lights on that fitting room, we all get to know that fitting room is clean and available to use when the red lights on, it's like an airlock. It's like, you're not supposed to go through it. It's not available until the green light goes on. Everyone gets used to that language, if you will. But if I was a manager looking and I see like, you know, there's, there's no, there's too few green lights right now. And there's people standing waiting to use these things. I see those dollars going out the door. 
Well, that's the behavior that I was talking about. Um, okay. We have to have behaviors around this. So everybody's altered their behavior in so many ways. I think that it's a reasonable alter- alteration of their of their behaviors. However, remember what we're up against here. Remember what people are doing now. Right now, they the the associate and remember we're in reduced coverage. Right, we're in reduced labor. We have fewer people in the store, and one of their jobs now is to stop what they're doing, or this is their total job, is to walk in and wipe down the entire fitting room, right? They get some disinfectant, you know, talk about exposure, right? We spend half of your day um, oh, yeah. uh, handling some high concentration cleaning product. You're wiping everything down. It's degrading the fixtures. It's degrading the wall coverings. It's degrading everything because you're spraying it around with reckless abandon to save the world at the moment. And the time that that takes, the the consumables that that takes, all that's happening. And you don't know, we, we all know how retail can be. Hopefully we'll be again soon. There's people coming in, there's people going out. Which one was clean? Which one wasn't? I don't remember. I think this one's clean. And then while you're thinking about that, somebody scoots around behind you and walks into the one that you haven't. And we can definitively say that that's not going to happen. And God forbid anybody ever, uh, you know, goes in, gets sick, and there's litigation involved. There's, um, you know, the society we live in has has a lot of, a lot of uh, pitfalls for retailers in that situation. Uh, you know, with with all the uh, things you want to spray and wipe down, uh, you're you're still only dealing with one of the vectors of this possible contagion, right? You're you're not dealing with the major vector, which is the air in the environment that's uh, surrounding that dressing room, which tends to be stale because you have walls and it, it's hard to move the air around very well. Uh, what's what's novel about this UVC light, this far UVC light, is it's also cleaning the air simultaneous while it's cleaning the surfaces. It sounds like this this is not just a solution on how you get people back in the store or make it safer. This this is this reduces risk. This reduces wear and tear. This reduces uh, really the the expense of uh, daily consumables in terms of uh, even just wiping down. That uses sprays. That uses rags. That uses paper towels. It uses whatever it is. It also constantly exposes your employees to all of those. You know, the, uh, I mean, you're just increasing the frequency that they come into contact with with anything that could be left in those. It's just so many points. And as hard as they would have worked in that situation, they weren't cleaning the air. Right. And if we look in Fred, I'll I'll throw this over to you. I I defer on all things science to Fred. um, But, you know, the more I understand the the pathogen and the vector of, of infection, it seems like that's a greater and greater concern that that's a fully air or not fully, but highly airborne vector rather than a, a touch uh, transmission, right? Hand to mouth, hand to, hand to eyes. Is that true? Yes. Right? No, it, it, the, where the science is today, uh, the, the airborne vector tends to be of greater concern. Um, and it, it is particularly problematic in areas like dressing rooms where you, you've got limited circulations or barriers to the, to the circulation of, of air that are, that are simply built into that, how that environment functions. 
So uh, the fact that this type of technology can, can deal with the air simultaneous to surfaces is significant, and you're correct. So, so today, the, the focus, and if you just look at some of the, the, the last week with the scientists to WHO and some of the other things that are going on, the focus has certainly been more to the air, airborne transmission uh, of this and, and that, that can be aerosolized. Uh, there is still surface issues, and we still have to make sure the surfaces are clean. Otherwise, we will once again shift our, our vector. Uh, but being able to utilize and, and deal with both simultaneously is the best of both worlds and, and allows us to get back to utilize that space again. Before we get too many miles away from it, uh, let's circle back to the logs that you mentioned, uh, Brian. We were going to give Fred a chance to comment on that before I so rudely interjected. <laughs> so it, it, when we talk about the reduction of a pathogen, uh, we, we often use the term log. Uh, and, and what that is is essentially uh, it's an exponential. It, it means that uh, if you think about it as the number nine, if we say log one, we've reduced 90% of a pathogen. If we say log two, we've reduced 99% of a pathogen. If we say log three, we've reduced 99.9% of the pathogen. So the, the, the easy shorthand is if we're using the word log, every, every time we say one, two, or three, it's either one nine, two nines, three nines, four nines, et cetera. Gotcha. So, uh, and remind us uh, where we're talking about with this technology. We're, we're talking between log two and log three. So between 99 to 99.9% .9 of the reduction of pathogen in the time frame uh, that we've been speaking about. What's really amazing about this, when you when you talk about the log level of cleaning to 99, 99.9, 99.99, we're doing this in places that weren't designed for this. Uh, you know, fitting rooms are just part of the equation, but I feel like if we can solve a problem in a fitting room, we can solve a problem anywhere. Because a fitting room was built by every retailer. Go find anybody who's listening to us who works in retail uh, planning and construction. Believe me, the fitting rooms were given exactly as little as they could to, to, to have the look, the brand identity that they need to have. They don't have extra power receptacles. They don't have extra lighting fixtures. There's not necessarily a junction box with high voltage above every one of these. So we had to make a system that we could run low voltage to that we could retrofit into existing structures and then, you know, really move the needle for a retailer. Cause look, if we were only able to do this and, Oh, well, Hey, you know, we got to bring in carpenters, uh, electricians, um, you know, some of the other options out there that I've heard people use need literally live water because they're vaporizing things. Oh yeah. If you're bringing in all that, well, look, your cost structure is so far outside of the ability of, of a retailer right now that, yeah, good. I'm glad to hear you could do that, but we can't do that. It will it will crush us under the weight. Well, we're able to do this with low voltage wire in stores and brands that we're already in. We're able to use our existing infrastructure, retrofit this in. We're able to save money for them and unlock, I mean, super defensible, 99.9%. 99.99% uh, reduction of pathogen in the air and on surfaces. Up next, can this incredible solution scale up quickly enough to meet massive demand? Hi, I'm Mark Rako, CEO of Mouth Media Network. All of us know that right now, more than ever, communication 
is so crucial to your leadership, to keeping your business in motion, to keeping people safe and delivering on promises. It can bring calm, it can inform and inspire, and it can offer hope. Getting urgent, crucial messaging to employees, strategic partners, and your consumer community matters. The tone and delivery of your message can make all the difference. The team at Mouth Media is standing with you. So we've put together a solution for this need, which can be deployed quickly and easily, and which we've designed to be very cost-effective in light of economics we're all facing now. Please reach out to me directly through LinkedIn, or you can email podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com, and I'll make sure that our team helps in any way we can. Thank you. And stay healthy and safe. You know, we focused a lot because that's the nature of this show and this conversation where you guys are primarily, you know, targeting, which is retail and in this case, fitting rooms. Uh, So I have two natural questions. One is what about the rest of the store? Uh, are you, are you able to provide any value for the rest? Cause you know, I walk in, I'm like, well, so if, if I don't try something on, am I good? And obviously the answer is just no, especially with the airborne. So how are you looking at connecting with the rest of a store? So Fred and healthy lighting, uh, has an entire suite of products, um, that, that cover different spaces, different applications, um, I'll let Fred talk about those, but you know, we are a full access to that catalog with the idea of being a value added, bring it in, bring it under our system so that we can audit it and make sure that's working. We're turnkey. We install it. We service it in the long term. Um, these are the things that we bring to that. So Fred, I'll let you speak to the, to the, the, the great stuff you have for the rest of the store and, and what you're doing in other retailers. I mean, you guys are working in retail. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, just just because this may go to my next question in part of how you answer, Fred. What I want to talk about is how are you thinking about other types of spaces? Is this uh, an example of one of the things that can help with solutions in public school classrooms? Are you looking at this, uh, um, not, not just your technology, Fred, but even the kinds of things that you offer, Brian, where there's ways to audit it, there's ways to prove it, there's ways to show people some indication that this has been completed before the teacher walks in in the morning, you know, public buildings, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I didn't know if that would be valuable as you consider your answer here, Fred. Yeah. So, uh, so Mark, um, we, we already deploy in a number of, of, of those areas today. We already have systems that are protecting office spaces and public buildings, and uh, we're already working in those fields. Um, but in, in terms of the, the retail environment, and, uh, we, we've done a number of things with, uh, with retail banking. Uh, we even have uh, uh, units that will protect uh, keypads and ATMs and things like that. And so those are things we, we roll out on a, on a regular basis today. But when we look at the store, we, uh, we look at the entire environment and uh, – I think that the greatest pain point today were the dressing rooms and working with uh, with Brian and Marge uh, at AlertTech. We, we're, we're also looking at these other areas, uh, but we already manufacture systems that will do air for the whole store, that will do spot cleaning around high-touch areas like cashier uh, registers and other areas where people have to interact or, or, or touch things. Um, so I, I think that we have a number of solutions that, that will fit. We have a number of other solutions in development that will continue to expand that. Um, but uh, we're going to deal with one pain point uh, and, and we'll just keep rolling into newer ones as we identify them. 
So let me ask you this. Uh, obviously, you have stores now, Brian, that already have some of this infrastructure in place. It's, it's quote, easy, unquote, or certainly direct to be able to add in this part of the technology equation and integrate in, into what you already have in place. Uh, and then there's going to be the stores that you haven't done business with, with yet. Um, and there's going to be retailers that I know you're focused on the fitting rooms right now, but there's going to be retail spaces that will find this valuable, but they may not be as focused on the fitting rooms. So my question is, is what does it take for someone to who hears this conversation to say, gosh, this sounds really important to me. I need to look into this. What am I in for? And you don't have to talk cost if you want, but, but from an infrastructure standpoint, I know you talked about low voltage. I know you talked about, you know, minimal upheaval and all that, but what is really going into their store? What do they have to be thinking about before they even come to you with, you know, uh, as they think about this? What these retailers, what, what their environments are in for is, and if you're a retailer, you're super concerned about the, the, the possibility of having to run um, high voltage and, and knock holes in walls and things like that. This doesn't require that. So this is a control panel that goes back into the, into the back of the house we're running cat six wire out to the fixture locations. Those fixtures are running on low voltage. Um, they also connect the, we also connect the, uh, the sensors that we have back to the, sen to the sense control panel. And then we're really able to, to kind of control the whole system. Now there's other components when you talk about the floor and, and the, the larger areas of the store, uh, such as the troffer product that, that Fred has, and that can be controlled by low voltage as well. So we're able to kind of put together a whole suite here around the, the biggest hurdle, I think, which is we don't have the infrastructure. We have a closed ceiling. We have, um, you know, you, you name it. Retail environments are so vast and varied. We've really designed and engineered this ecosystem so that we can slide into existing store footprints without huge, um, you know, capital costs. So, so it, it, it does today, um, but that, that doesn't mean if there's enough demand, why we couldn't make it a low voltage unit. Um, I, I think that that is possible. And uh, again, I think as we work together and we explore what the market is going to require and, and, and how the economics work best for you and, and, and your clientele, um, that's certainly something we'll, we'll, we'll consider making that way. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think the technology is not limited to the input voltage. Um, it, it's simply a matter of, of how we scale it. What happens if someone does a big story on this uh, or a brand, you know, a huge retailer that's got, you know, 2000 stores says, all right, this is amazing. We're doing all how fast can you get this done in all of our stores? And all of a sudden this, the demand just explodes, which is a great thing. But two things, one is they need it now. This isn't something you can go look, well, I think we're good to deliver in six months. The, they need it today for the livelihood of their company and the livelihood and the safety of people. One, two, we're dealing with a compromised uh, supply chain right now, just in, well, even if it's just, you know, uh, transportation uh, and, and the ability to spin up to your heart's desire and your own capacity financially is not, is not the way it always is. So how are you guys looking at the ability to meet demand if it explodes? So Mark, uh, the, the company that I started here uh, about now almost 21 years ago, um, we have achieved some scale um, over, over the years. 
uh, we, we today, uh, between the parent and the subsidiary we're talking about, we manufacture between 40 and 50 million lighting units a year. Um, gotcha. So scale uh, is, isn't really a, a big deal to us. We, we, it's, it's a fairly simple uh, action. Yeah, and from alert tech side of things, we're very fortunate that we've done a lot of integration, making sure that our system in its in its core capacity is capable of handling this. Doing you know two thousand units of our controls and and the the rest of the supply chain is something that we could definitely do. Fortunately, as well, we've been doing this for thirty years. I think that the biggest problem that somebody would have if they got tackled with that, uh, aside from manufacturing, which is you know we manufacture everything ourselves. Um, and we have a, a very elastic kind of capacity, um, is just service and installation. So, you know, 30 years of installing, we have a great network of installers that we've just made. Um, they're our friends at this point, and we can really move fast to install these systems, which, yeah, that was part of what we decided, what we had to talk about when we started this, which is, could, could we keep up? Because people aren't going to say, Hey, let's put this in 10 stores. This is a, this is a full, you have to move the needle in the entire brand and the brand needs to lead with this. They need to start the, the conversation. I, I mean, I truly do visualize the, the commercial that one of our brands will have that says, Hey, you need to get something to wear uh, for a special event or just to be comfortable in your own house. You can come to us. We are safe. And that's, that's insanely powerful. Yeah, I think I'd also like to add, uh, you mentioned the supply chain, uh, Mark, and um, our, our supply chain is actually pretty short. Uh, th these products are made in, in the United States, designed in the United States from uh, U.S. parts. Um, so it's, a, it's a, not, not the exposure to some of the overseas uh, supply chains that where their issues are transportation-wise. Yeah, we're fortunately you know, in that position, yeah. You know, that's great. And and I know we're telling the story now, but, you know, I really hope you guys get the attention of someone and are able to really – to. this is – this is a really interesting story that needs to be told. It's not even just interesting, like from a business standpoint, this is an American story of just great conceptualization of a solution in a dire moment that makes use of two businesses and what they do. They figured out a way to solve a problem. It's all done in America and they can do it as fast as people need it. It's a tremendous entrepreneurial um, uh, journey and, no, it's an it's an entrepreneurial moment, really. It's and it's funny because you could even overlay that with how uh, Marge and I and Brian first met, and because that's really where the story originates from my side. Uh, I started doing work with with NASA about 13 years ago, uh, which is where I first started working with some of these materials. Um, and it was actually a NASA connection that reintroduced me to to Marge and Brian a, a decade yeah. later. So it was so it's a it's a pretty interesting story all all together. Yeah, we share a fence line with Johnson Space Center. So uh, growing <laughs> up, I, I literally lived across the street from an astronaut and went to his launch and down the street, another astronaut who was my, uh, his son was my friend, uh, went to his launch. I mean, the, the people that it's kind of like the hero next door. And I think that's a really, it's a super American story as well. Yeah. Well, that sounds like what you guys are is right now you're the hero next door. <laughs> I hope to be. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to get a little personal with Brian and Fred with some off-the-grid questions right after this. 
Now here comes a twist. I'm going to share serious tips, challenges, and solutions. I'm 36 years old. I founded 21 companies. I'm an Inc. 500 awardee. It's one word. Add, drop, uh, ignore. This is Naked Entrepreneur. It happened to me not once, not twice, three times. This is going to happen. Write it down. With Eli Ostriker. Right now, let me focus on my logo. Focus on the website. You f***ing out of your mind. Are you crazy? Rated R. Listen, it's a podcast. Naked Entrepreneur. Let's let's get human for a second here. Uh, I know Brian fairly well, but I, I don't know you at all, Fred, except for this conversation. So uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Brian just because that's a little, little easier. Um, but I'm gonna ask you a question about stuff that I I don't really know, Brian. Okay. Um, so what I want to know is what's a an app on your phone that even as well as I know you, I would be surprised to see there. I would never guess to have that on your phone. All right. I got one. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I recently installed Reddit because uh, my neighbor's moving. <laughs> I had to tell you why. I guess you wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if that's on my phone. That's on a lot of people's phone. But I, I installed it because my neighbor's moving and he just gave me three chickens. And I have, so now I have, I have three chickens in my backyard and I needed support. And I found that there's a, there's a subreddit for people with backyard chickens. So now I have three hens. Do you know how common that is right now? You know how many people have, have backyard chickens right now? It's, it's like a huge thing. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's total uh, comic relief for this situation. I'll say that much. So you have read it as your as a resource of information about how to handle backyard chickens, how to raise Literally them. Literally, what I have it for, yeah, yeah. That that is, I wonder how close that is to the, the the architects of Reddit as to what they thought it would be used for. That's what they built it for. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You, you know, I know that prior to COVID, you actually travel a lot. It's a big part of your your year uh, to a lot of cities, internationally, everything. Uh, what do you miss most about the travel process that when you get to travel again, you'll, you'll be like so excited to be able to do that. And I, I mean, I feel like the obvious answer is food, but, but maybe, maybe that's not it. What, what is it about just the, it isn't even just about the places you go, but just the ability to travel that you, you, you miss so much. So the answer to that is I find a lot of Zen in, in being very like a uh, process oriented during travel. So as, as, as little motion is necessary, as little uh, luggage is necessary, as little um, effort, but also like kind of always letting it go. Like, I don't have any preconceived notions about what's going to happen. I try not, not to get my feathers uh, ruffled. Um, you know, so I, I literally just, I miss the Zen of being like a, like a leaf in a river, you know, of just going with the flow. And, uh, I think I was, I was, I was pretty good at that. And I wonder if I will be when, when travel kicks off in a high gear again. Wow. Leaf in a river. I love that. I mean, it's kind of like how you feel when you're, you know, just going along. That's great. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, all right, Fred. Uh, now you're down in Florida. Uh, did you grow up in Florida, or is that a new place for you? 
Okay. So uh, my I, question is, about, uh, first question for you is, is uh, when you move to Florida, Florida has a certain reputation to, at least to non-Floridians, of, it just has a personality. And my question is, you know, it's uh, it's either that there's all the old people or, it, you know, it's all the spring breaks or it's all the crazy news stories. Always seems like it's that guy from Florida in that crazy news story. So my question is, how does living in Florida compare to what you thought living in Florida would be like? I, I came to Florida uh, to be around family as my children were born. Um, and as I learned more about it, uh, it, it really has a lot to offer. Uh, and it, it, it is absolutely everything that is stereotyped to be. Uh, but, but it also has these interesting niches. Um, there was an interesting niche around uh, the Space Coast. Um, there's an interesting niche around the Orlando area. There's an interesting niche down in South Florida. And they all offer some wonderful melting pots of, of, of culture, uh, melting pots of technology, uh, and melting pots of just, I'd say, almost artistic uh, bents. And, <laughs> uh, and for that reason, I, I've really come to enjoy it. But uh, yes, all the other stereotypes are. Thank are you for that, that, that uh, candid answer. Given, right. uh, on, my second and, on any last given question day, for we will, you, Fred, we'll, we'll is: run into every one of them. Um, what is the soundtrack of your life, my friend? So, if you the, the music that. That, that if I was scoring who you are and what your life is, what would the music be? <laughs> well, I know what others tell me it should be, and, and, and that is the entrance of Darth Vader into any scene he's ever come into. But <laughs> but um, I, I, I would like to think of myself in a, a little lighter vein, uh, but um, I, I, I'm fascinated uh by technology so um i'd have to go into either uh, a 2001 uh background soundtrack or or, or something uh that was done by uh i guess late 70s early early 70s musicians oh. but um I, I think the technology side uh i so, always uh, Mark, wondered what it'd be I'm like yeah. how in right. real life uh, go ahead. I, I, i've had the opportunity so vice. it's been great I don't know if this is the greatest answer or not, but it's that I, I literally, I think I've had a drink almost every day (laughs) and I don't normally drink all the time, but I, I'm not saying I'm getting plastered all the time. I'm saying, but there's usually at least one beer and it's just not something that I, that I, I do. And a lot of it is because I'm not normally home at, five o'clock or whatever, you know, I was such a, my life is just such that it has no particular schedule and, you know, I'm here all the time, obviously. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's that I drank pretty much every day. You're in very my, good company. <laughs> my waistline, my waistline shows it. Um, the, the other, the other thing has been the joy of <laughs> just being with my wife all the time. I know that sounds corny, but um, I, I just normally don't get to be with my wife very, very often. And just because we have busy schedules. And so uh, I know that's not a vice, but it's maybe a pattern. But uh, say so I want to round out my character a little bit after talking about being such a drinker and then all of a sudden, you know, love my wife. and all that stuff. <laughs> What's your vice, Brian? What's your vice during COVID? <sighs> Well, aside from the chickens, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, 
Oreo cookies, man. I put them, I put them in the, uh, I put them in the freezer and I can't help it. Like every day it's, I eat three Oreo cookies and an ice cold glass of milk. That's, I never did that before this whole thing. Score. You know what? I love that you said that because I, I just realized now what my like real answer to your question should have been. My answer was truthful, but I have to tell you, my vice is these, um, very spicy potato chips. And what I do often for lunch is I I make a peanut butter and marmalade sandwich, and then I put these hot potato chips in the sandwich as part of the sandwich. Nice. Uh, and and it's it's uh it's got a lot of eyebrow raises when I threw it on social media because I was like, this is my new lunch, but it's the greatest. And every day I, I when I have I just can't wait for my sandwich. Well, so, it's fair uh, that we ask Fred the same question. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, me, so, it, 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 it's boring after. So all of us had something uh, to do with consumption. I, I've, I've eaten more ice cream in the last That's six so months. Than I've eaten in the last not working years. out, unfortunately. <laughs> all right, guys. So uh, for those people who may yeah. be oh. lucky enough to hear this <laughs> this conversation, I believe, uh, how can they connect with the things that you're doing and find out more, or perhaps even implement the solution they have? Yeah, I think you should reach out to me, B Laney at alerttech.net. That's B L A N E Y at alerttech, A L E R T T E C H.net. Um, reach out. We can put it together for you. Um, be fast to market and, uh, and really, really work collaboratively with our retailers as we always have. Fantastic. Any, anything to add to that, Fred? No, I'd say just if you want to see some research on the topic, uh, we have a lot of case studies and other things at healthylighting.com, and that's healthy spelled with H-E-A-L-T-H-E, lighting.com. Fantastic. Uh, All right, and, Brian uh, Laney, Fred Maxick, I can't there thank you guys enough for, uh, for sharing the story the of what you're doing. Uh, it's it's really exciting and a, and a great piece of ingenuity and, and uh, out-of-the-box thinking to come up with something that just seems almost so obvious. And uh, But, but I, I think, I hope a lot of retailers and brands see the power behind what you're doing and this is a really big play for you guys congratulations thank you all right that's it for this episode thank you for spending the time and coming all the way to the end of it so you're hearing Thanks this now really appreciate the time. uh i hope you're staying safe and well and uh, succeeding with your business right now until next time i'm mark Braco. have a great day This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.